welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm back with another episode of the Empathic Mastery Show. And we've got a really interesting conversation for you today. My guest is Antonia. And Antonia spent 20 years getting university degrees and trying to save the world in careers such as international development and community health. I bet a bunch of us can relate to this. <laughs> in 2006, she experienced a dramatic spontaneous shift in realities that changed everything she knew of the world and herself. That sounds like there's a lot to that story. For the next magical and agonizing 16 years, she experienced an explosion of energy, eventually understanding that she was in an accelerated awakening. She has spent nearly every day since then releasing emotional, physical, and energetic pain, and letting go of what she thought defined a worthy life. As the suffering released, she accessed a higher truth about the purpose of pain, that it feeds our evolution, but only if we see it. And once we see it, it no longer exists. She works with her clients psychotherapeutically and as a transmuter to help them see their pain versus be their pain. She is a registered psychotherapist, trained as an Ayurvedic counselor, meditation, and yoga instructor. She transmits ener energetically in session while teaching through silence and with the assistance of plant medicine. Antonia, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Jennifer, it's just lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> and I mean, just reading your bio, I'm like, there are so many questions that your bio brings up for me. Um, like just, it sounds like you really got to be on a wild roller coaster ride and have been through a lot. I always love to start with talking about your experience as a human being as a, and potentially as a highly sensitive person. Did you, do you identify as an empath? If yes, you know, when did you realize you were one? Like how, and, and just like, so I love to start there. Just like when, like, let's talk about you and your sensitivity and then tell mm. us about that, you know, the, the, the awakening and mm -hmm. that experience that happened in 2006. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was harrowing. It's still harrowing in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So if I look back, I mean, if we look back in hindsight, I could see as a kid, that of course I was an empath. I would wonder, you know, and question myself. Am you know I had pets, and I'd always wonder, am I feeling actually what my cat is feeling right now? Could that be happening? Or feeling what my friend is feeling? Am I actually feeling that? Why am I crying so easy when somebody else? Is so I have these questions, but I never talked about it, and and um, I always doubted myself. Right? I always yeah. kind of tossed it aside, and. Um, I, you know, I kind of moved to the sort of esoteric practices right when I was very young. And, and so if I look back now, I can see that I was drawn into that metaphysical other than physical sensation world. But 
uh, I kind of poo-pooed it in many ways. And in fact, I kind of left my body, most likely because it was so uncomfortable, and went into the world of the mind, where I just went to university and thought, I'm just going to go collect degree after degree after degree, and then make then I'll be worthwhile. Then I'll uh-huh. be special and recognized. And then I'll be considered valid and worthy. So I went right into getting just just collecting bachelors and masters thinking that this was going to be this is my path. And then <laughs> that all turned on its head 2006. I believe it actually might have started when I was over living in Central America and the energy there probably launched and started clearing stuff without me even knowing. And then Mm -hmm. when I moved back to Canada, it was a couple of years later, I remember sitting in my office and and I had this thought that I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here. Like something's wrong. Something's not the way it should be. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I wasn't doing anything bad. I was working in community health and in human rights and networking and social justice groups, et cetera, et cetera. And within very shortly after that thought, things started to pick up and get very weird. And it's the classic synchronicities and connecting intuitively. And I remember walking into this giant, we had this conference on health promotion and looking he at the, across the room and there was somebody from, a, he was a medicine man in, what, in the Ojibwe tribe. And I thought, I'm going to talk to him. I have no idea why I know this. Kind of freaked myself out, but I knew I was going to talk to him. And I went out to go to the bathroom during the middle of the conference and and then got a tea afterwards. And he came out and started to talk to me. And we started talking about dreams and, you know, uh, kind of an awakening pathway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that stuff started to happen almost on a daily basis. And then within about a year of this happening, I, I... spontaneously started to release pain. Hmm. Pain just started to ooze out of my being constantly. And then it kept, it sped up. So maybe it was once every few weeks, I'd have this, literally this surge of energy that would feel awful. Like you're like your whole body is just trying to poop out something terrible and followed by energetic surge, often heat. Sometimes I would pass out. And then after there'd be a big giant emotional release and no thoughts that would come with it, just emotional, energetic surges. And then, uh, then the body would detox afterwards. That sounds this, almost like you had like a, like a cosmic hot flash. <laughs> over and over like and over again. Yeah. The hot flashes got so bad that I think it started about 2018 that when I was releasing, I'd burn my skin. Wow. And then it started about the same time that the energy was so powerful that it torques your spine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I end up and still end up over in the osteopath's office and the chiropractor and the massage constantly trying to stretch me out and iron me out and get my hips back in place. I remember seeing my chiropractor and one week to the next, she asked if I was in a car accident because I was so out of alignment just from an enormous release that I'd had that week. So, and I still do that constantly in with my caregivers, trying to keep my body in alignment, especially in this part of the world, because this is a pretty sticky, dense part of the world that I'm at. So the body's working extra hard with all this energy, trying to detox this pain that just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. I want to actually stop, go over to you talking about the dense parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
in your experience, do you think there's anything like, is it more, is it more circumstantial? Like that there's places where it's sort of like, I don't know, like, like, you know, I mean, like the United States right now is like really fraught. There's a lot of, and it's very energetically congested because of all the behavior. But I'm wondering, do you think that there's, um, like what makes a place stick and maybe it's multifactorial and you're just like, there's all kinds of things that make it sticky, but I'd be curious, Mm. like what makes it sticky? And in your experience, have you been to places that are not as thick? It's not as congested, Mm. not as sticky. So I, as, as you say, it's probably lots of things, lots of variables, but one that I'm fairly certain of is this area around the great lakes the geology is very new. It's glacial deposit. It's only like 12,000 years old. So it's extremely rich for agricultural purposes, great soil, but it doesn't have the crystalline structures that you're going to have when you're in the mountain. It doesn't have the ocean, the salt water, you know? So I'm actually from Alberta. So I got the mountains and my family's from BC, British Columbia. So you'd have the ocean and the mountains Mm -hmm. and over there, things just would move. Now, the richest place I've ever been to where things just move is over Pacific Coast, Mexico, which is Mm -hmm. where I spend quite a few months just detoxing. And as soon as I get off the plane, literally flush, 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 I have to be careful not to get infections as I'm detoxing and things just go click, 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 and start to move back into place. And then the only discomfort I really feel is when I'm walking on the beach, the kundalini moves so powerfully that my lower back starts to really, really ache. Uh, that's the only pain that I feel. But up here, I'm like my big toes are hurting today because there's so much stuff jammed in my ankles and my feet. Mm, mm. So down there on the Pacific, it just moves so beautifully for me. You know, you just reminded me or put something into somewhat perspective. I've had the experience of standing on different kinds of land. Mm -hmm. I feel it so differently in my body. And for some reason, um, whenever, when I've been down in Florida a couple times, like within a day of being in Florida, I will start to experience shooting pain in my knees. And I've also experienced it when I was down in North Carolina, um, in the mountains in North Carolina. And one of the things I've noticed is that the kind of rock, like the kind of mm-hmm. ground, like what's underneath the dirt really seems to impact like the way energy flows in and out of our body. So as yeah. you're speaking, I'm like, yeah, I've absolutely had the experience of my body being in a lot more physical distress in certain locations, geographic locations. I'm really lucky because I live seven miles from the ocean. Exactly. And so on, you know, and on a very, on on a granite ledge, but with a lot of loamy pine soil. So it's very easy to ground. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I love, I love that we're talking about this just because this is not something that I think people talk about very often mm-hmm. is just how even the physical location we're living in can really impact our physical experience of the world. I'm also really struck by what you're describing and thinking about what a miracle that you are looking at it through this lens and this awareness of the fact that you are having this uh, like magical, spiritual, accelerated awakening as opposed to just being like, oh, well, I, there's something wrong with my body just the way it is. Or 
wow, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I need to check myself into a mental institution. Like, like how did you, and, and I'm imagining, I mean, as you said, sometimes it's still agonizing. Like, how did you, did you go through those periods of like, I, I'm worried that this is, that something's really wrong. Like, I'm worried that I'm losing it. Like, what was that journey like? How did you come to that place of like, okay, this is what is happening. I understand I'm going through an awakening. It took years to settle into that place. Years to to settle. And every once in a while, I still wonder like, but it took years. And in fact, the you know, I grew up in a very sort of secular household. And so there was no conversation about anything esoteric metaphysical at all it was all academia politics so i had right there with you <laughs> right yes. and so i had no reference point at all the the amazing thing was is that in the middle of these these throws of there was two actually a lot of beautiful things but a couple of them were in the middle of these throws like at when the pain comes off this magic, this, this incredible agonizing thrust of agony that moves through, often almost instantly, there would be a knowing that would come through, an insight. They were crystal clear and came with joy and love and a sense of connection. So it, it was this back and forth of what's happening, I'm crazy, and why I'm in so much pain to, oh, I get it. <laughs> I understand, I, you know, I can really feel some truth happening. And then, of course, the next thing would come up and you'd have to, you know, wait till you could shed that through and you go back into the darkness and the pain, which is all alone and it feels misunderstood and you're questioning yourself and I had nobody to talk to and I felt also isolated. And then, oh, oh, I get it. This is why pain's here. Oh, it's everything's love. Oh, we're all connected. Oh, I'm never really alone. You know, so all these these things would come through. And it sped up until, until uh, I think between 2001 through COVID, it was just almost daily, just uh-huh. daily of aha, aha, aha. But I think that, you know, it was that back and forth, but it really, I was carried through a long process of terror. It yeah. was terrifying. I, you know, I, there was a trust that come through and go, you're okay. It's fine. You get it. And then it was, oh my God, what's happening? Could this be real? What is really happening? Right. What is I can't really talk happening? to anybody about this because they're gonna think I'm crazy, right? All the places that I sought validity before, if I've gone to them with this, they would have, they would have, you know, sectioned me. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a terrifying and magical and painful uh experience. But obviously there was something so profoundly beautiful. That that was there to keep me going and nudging me and guiding me and telling me I'm okay and I'm safe and it's good and you're loved. That that just kept uh, being fed or I kept feeding myself that constantly, which was yes. Well, and as you're speaking about this, I think about my own experience of and especially like you said, COVID was just especially like 2020, 2021 was just a doozy. Yeah, um, you know, I was waking up. I was waking up often in the middle of the night feeling like I've been plugged into an electric socket with heart palpitations and this guidance this inner voice would you just say it's okay it's okay you're just feeling the surges just feeling the COVID surges it's okay there's just so much terror in the world right now just relax you're fine it's not it's not about you but what I've noticed for myself is that especially if I'm in um 
for lack of a better word, like an ascension symptom period or, an, you know, an embodied ascension period um, where, and my body is doing something where it's kind of like doing this shift. What I've noticed is that if I understand why it's happening, I can suck it up and move through it and accept it and journey through it. But it's when it, it, it accelerates to be more intense, it's unfamiliar and feels somewhat new. And I'm not sure what it is that I kind of go into this place of concern of like, oh my God, am I really, is the voice in my head really telling me the truth? Am I really okay? Or do I need to go to the emergency room and like get my gallbladder removed? Like there's that dance between those things. And, um, I, you know, I don't know if that was your experience with it, but that, that feeling of like those moments where you're like, you don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I, I know for me, at least it's much harder to ride it mm -hmm. and to ride the current. If I have no idea why I'm experiencing mm -hmm. what I'm experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, I think, you know, I went through what we're all going through, which is gradually beginning to understand and intuitively connect when this is something that's being transmuted, when this is something that's being brought to a higher frequency versus, oh, we need to, we need to go get some blood work done or we right. need to get somebody else to look at this. Right. And, and the truth is, you know, everything that I'm feeling these days in uh, that's pain is all about the detox. Like there's, there's been nothing. It's all about the detox. It's all about the body trying to adjust to toxins. And so I've really arrived at that place in the last few years, but it took many years. I've had, I have a paramedics here from taking mm. melatonin. And we believe it was, you know, calcifications from the pineal gland from high doses of melatonin that my blood pressure plummeted and I went into seizures and freaked out and I made my husband call the ambulance because I didn't want to have him facing me passed out on the floor not knowing what's going on. And yet 50% of me knew there's there's just something's being transformed here. And the other 50% was like, what's let's just call the paramedic so we can take care of this. And they came over and said, Well, your blood pressure is better than mine. You're just fine right now. So <laughs> you're good. Right. Everything evened out and it was it was great. And I could actually feel things starting to shift. So we I think we we do and we need to we need to check in I think to make sure yeah. you know yeah. because the truth is is that pain is not wise and so when we're in pain it's good to have something else coming in there to make sure it's not alone making our decisions for us that we have a higher frequency that wisdom coming in seeing what's happening so that the fear is not the one making our choices for us Absolutely. And I, I love, you know, I think that, you know, there's that saying, you know, have trust in Allah, tie up your camel, you know, and it's sort of like, I think that it, that the idea of recognizing that we're going through a spiritual awakening, recognizing that the physical sensations are part of what's happening. And sometimes it's worth just getting blood work done. Sometimes it's worth going and getting an ultrasound. Like, you know, even if it means that they look at it and they go, there's nothing here, you're completely fine. Yeah. It's helpful to know because I know for myself, if I do that and I know there's nothing here, it's completely fine. Then when these weird symptoms mm -hmm. come up and I'm suddenly riding the waves again, I know, oh, this is what's happening, not this. Correct. Then you don't have fear coming in and interpreting it or ego right. coming in and interpreting it. We can just get 
stay quiet and stay the observer and allow it and make it a little less fraught and drama. Well, and you said that, you know, in this, in, in the bio where you were talking about to see our pain versus be our pain, what a radical concept. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That came through really clearly, I think 2020, which is just linked to like pain is a really blind place. Pain doesn't see anything other than itself. I use an example of somebody often who gets maybe hit by a car and their leg is broken. Now, they're lying on the road and they're screaming at the top of their lungs and they're grabbing their leg. And the only thing that they can feel in that moment is their leg, even though there's 12 people around them saying, I'm here to help you. You're not alone. What can I do for you? Call in the ambulance, blah, 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 blah. But they can't see all the help and the love and the care. The only thing I can see is feel is the broken leg. That's the only thing that exists. I think that's the state of this reality for most of us for thousands of years. We have layers and layers of trauma, layers and layers of pain. And that pain doesn't see outside of itself. And so that pain tells us, I am the only thing that exists. I am the only thing that's real. And that is the lens through which we have been seeing ourselves and the world for a long, long time. Yes. Right. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) So we say pain lacks awareness. It does not see anything but itself. We have to bring that uh, that observer in. And with with so many of us going through this awakening, we are now bringing in a states of awareness when we're able to see the pain and the story it tells and identify that pain is not us. Pain has been running the show and running the agendas and telling us the stories. My pain's been bouncing off of your pain. We've even been loving through pain. I don't think we most of us know what love really is because it's interpreted through fear and shame mm. and rage that mm. we've inherited for thousands of years. Well, and trauma bonding. I think we've been trauma bonding for that, that thousands of yeah. years. That's the state of the tribe, right? Come yeah. tell me I'm safe. I'll tell you you're safe. And we'll sit here together and huddle against all the horrible masses out there, right? Yes. So I think now with this uh, expanded of this awareness and the state of expansion, we're bringing in consciousness, which is the seeing energy, right? That says, oh, I am not my pain. My pain is a story. My pain is something from old that does not want to let go and is still interpreting present moment, even though it's from past. And I can see my pain and I can see what it's been wanting and I can see what it's need. I can see what its agenda is, but it is not me. Mm-hmm, but now mm-hmm. I can see you. Mm-hmm. I can, there's me and bringing awareness to the pain. Now, when we bring awareness into the pain, when we bring consciousness into pain, that's when we start to transform pain. The higher frequencies of consciousness awareness, which include compassion and love and acceptance. When we infuse those higher energies of pure seeing, I see you and I'm not going anywhere. And we bring that into pain, then pain itself starts to shift and move in, move into higher frequencies itself. It starts to transform. And I think that's precisely what we're doing is we're seeing pain itself or its stories and not, not, you know, the truth that it's been telling us it is. Yes. 
Well, and as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this is so not dissociating. This is so Mm. not going up into our head and intellectualizing and being like, I am not my pain. Like I, there is, I'm really hearing, this is like a radical acceptance of what is going on Mm -hmm. and a deep willingness to be embodied and to recognize the pain as the messenger. Yeah. And I think that's why we're changing our relationship to pain. What you said was so rich. So just a second, I'm picking out threads of it. So changing our relationship to pain is understanding that, you know, it holds underneath the contracted state, it holds the wisdom and the knowing within it. Right. And so when we release it, when it starts to move from a contracted dense state and it starts to loosen up and move, then the flow, the energy of consciousness, that intelligence starts to move and it reveals to us the reason for the pain, what brought the pain on, why it served us, why it existed, where it's delivering me. So it's actually held within it. So if we recognize that our pain is not something to turn away from and avoid, which is uh, has been our past relationship to our discomfort and our suffering, but actually it is filled with treasures, then we can build the trust and deepen the acceptance, because I think we have far to go in that acceptance and that moving into the somatic place deep within our pain to fall into it with acceptance and love and consciousness that uh, when we bring in that trust and that surrender into it, that that's when we can really unpack the treasures that are in our pain, really the potential, the creative potential that I think pain is here serving up is pure yes. creative potential. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and um, I know from my own personal experience that there have been ex- that there have been times where there has been a persistent nagging, like persistent pain. And when I've become willing as an EFT practitioner, you know, to tap on it and to dive into it and to look at it and to just be like, okay, what is this really trying to tell me? Um, Once I've seen the root, once I've come to understand, like, what is this really about? It's miraculous how the pain completely transmutes. It disappears. Like, it just completely evaporates, dissipates, shifts. Um, Like, it. so I've had a very similar experience of, that if we can understand it, if we really give it a voice and really mm-hmm. honor it, mm-hmm. that it has this miraculous way of transforming. I'm wondering if you would be open to or in, um, willing to either share an example from your personal experience, or if you want um, even to workshop something and <laughs> guinea pig, I'm willing to like throw myself on the throw myself in the hot seat. But I'd love to hear like a I'd love to hear like a take up part an actual experience or symptom for somebody like if you're if you're down for this is that something you're comfortable with so um lead me through that take me for um so what i was thinking is i'm imagining that you know you have experienced physical things that have come up for you and you've gone through that journey of like really coming to know it like what and so i was wondering about that and i was saying you know if you wanted to either talk about your own experience or um, I recently had a detox process come up where my the my chickenpox virus that was 50 years old decided to surface as shingles recently. Ouch. And that's been a really interesting journey. 
Um, um, and so I was just thinking about like, like I said, I'm willing to throw myself on the hot seat. And, but if you have an example from your own personal experience of like, this came up, this is the process. Like, I'd love to go through the journey of that moment of feeling the pain and that, and that sort of taking it apart. And maybe you talking about your experience would actually be more effective because you're showing us how to navigate it, how to work through it, how to journey it. Yeah, I got a great example. I okay, got great. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's funny when you were talking about your chicken pox, I felt the upper your upper back get really hot. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really I, I thought I was having a gallbladder attack for a couple for about yes. a week because it was referred pain. It was all over the place. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and then I was like, freaking shingles. <laughs> you know, like Oh, my heart yeah. goes out to you. Oh thank you. Yeah, I'm I I interestingly, one of my dearest friends, we've known each other since she, she, we've known each other, we've, we've had past lives together in my book. She's my friend who was in the French revolution with me. She and I have been friends since we were 16 years old in this lifetime. She lives in Colorado. I live here in Maine. We got shingles the exact same day. And she's the one though, who really had it bad. She ended up getting it on her face and ended up having to go see the ophthalmologist and have surgery because it got in her eye or got near her eye. I, on the other hand, on a scale of zero to 10, have been like dealing with like a three or a four. I'm like, I've been groovy. Oh, I'm so sorry for her and lucky for you. I am so sorry for her and lucky for me. But Um. yeah, it's just a, you know, the parallels though, fascinating thing of like when you have somebody, like I thought it was amazing that my friend was going through the same thing for similar thing at the same time. But anyway, you have an example, please share. Yeah. So typically when I'm releasing pain, there isn't, uh, there it's mostly deep ancestral, maybe past life stuff. So I don't necessarily have a story that's connected with it. But when they do come up, they're usually they're usually the conflict, right? They're usually mm-hmm. the conflicts. And so I connect to the emotional pain and where it's sitting in my body. So I remember a really powerful moment when uh, I heard through the grapevine that one of my colleagues had, quote unquote, betrayed me. So mm. something I had shared in confidence and they went off and sort of capitalized on it themselves and didn't tell me any other. So this was the event. And in that moment, when I heard about it, I felt the the red hot rage. And I come from a long line of angry women, long line of self-righteous rage through the women in my family. I come from a long line of simmering resentment and silent treatment. (laughs) Hence your gallbladder, eh? That's your gallbladder. (laughs) So yeah, I get the same rage, rage, rage. Yeah. So this was white hot, came on strong. And so, of course, there's here going, oh, how am I going to, what am I going to do with these terrible people who've done me wrong? And then the other observer that's going, oh, here it is. Here's the juicy opportunity in this. We've got a story that's surfacing. It's a biggie. Now we need to get in here. So because I could identify with it, what I did was I, as soon as I could, I went for a walk in the park. And I did what I teach my clients to do which is feel deeply, not the story. Get rid of the story. The story doesn't matter. We've been doing this story for thousands of years about betrayal and abandonment and hating and you know bad guys and good. We got to get rid of all the stories. The stories don't matter anymore. These are just imprints that we keep inheriting. So throw the story out 
and go into the body. Now, especially for people who've been in their mind most of their lives, such as myself, the story wants to assert itself and the rationalizations want to get in there about why they're wrong, right? So I'm walking and I'm feeling this rage and I'm seeing the stories that are coming up about how they're wrong and how I've got to fix it and and how I'm going to resolve the situation and confront them or... And I'm having this conversation with my own thoughts going, but we know it's not the story. So go back into your body, sweetie, go back into your body. And I coach myself back into the body to sit in this red hot rage. And there's really a wrestle between being in the thoughts and sitting in the torso where the rage is burning, burning. Mm -hmm. So I walk and I feel the rage and I breathe and I feel the rage and I try and take my awareness down into my body and literally fall into it. And then the mind wants to kick in and go, yeah, but but maybe we can just go have this really then kind conversation with them and tell them the error of their ways. But we understand we'll be a bit softer, of course. And then I try and get the that story. There's no story. We don't need to talk about anybody to anything. We Nobody needs to be wrestling with it. This thing, it doesn't even exist. I'm telling, go back into the body, keep walking, keep breathing, keep walking, feel, just feel. And the tension between these two Polar, these two opposite realities of, but we've got to make this wrong right. And there's doesn't nothing exists except this anger in your body, this story, this frequency that's been holding on for probably women after women after women. Yeah. This is the only thing. Yeah. So eventually, after about an hour and a half, I'm feeling it. I'm breathing. The tears are flowing. I'm burping. I'm yawning as this thing starts to come out of my body. I'm sweating. I'm crying. I'm crying. As I'm trying to stay out of the mind, I'm just sinking into the rage and being with the rage with no mind, no mind whatsoever. And I even see another little story come up and go, yeah, but couldn't we just know, honey, there's nothing going on, my darling. Go back into the body and we're okay now. The beautiful thing that started to happen is that those last little parts of my mind and ego that wanted to negotiate like a peace treaty with them, a good learning, that I began to see and feel the frequency of their reality of what they had done and the frequency of the thing within me that wanted to go chat with their frequency. So I could really feel the frequency differences as I've shifted into this no mind space and all this energy came in to transmute it, that everything just became frequency. And so it didn't, I didn't have to wrestle with the thought or the idea because I had so much energy and no mind moving underneath and surging underneath all of this ego that the world just became frequency in that moment. And it was, I can see the frequency they're operating at. And now we, we don't need to do anything, but stay in this much love and this much compassion to be up here in this frequency. And any thought that wanted to go down and wrestle with them, I go, oh, no, no, we don't live in that frequency anymore. Breathe, love, bring the light in, bring the light in, and bring it back up to this frequency. Everything just became so clear in a, as a, in a frequency reality. It was so lovely. I cried. I kept crying. I kept crying. Suddenly, it felt like okay and clear. I wasn't wrestling with it. It felt like everything made sense. I went home, started to cook dinner. Suddenly, my liver started to spasm and spasm and spasm. I was on the floor in agony, and then I started to throw up. I started to th- as my body started to purge the toxins that have been held in the liver because the liver holds rage, right? Yeah. 
the, yeah. the liver literally started to purge that rage that no longer became relevant in the new reality that I constructed just by falling into the feeling, being in the body and bringing light into that place. So that was, mm. yeah, that was one of the more powerful experiences. I've Amazing. Had. Um, yeah. Was, was there any after story in terms of as you completely changed your frequency about this with that other person or was it just completely that person, done. And, you know, that person was done. I never I got, yeah. Yeah. You know, there might've been yeah. a check-in. I'm going, still doesn't bother me. Like there's still nothing there. There's no need to be, Amazing. it was gone within seconds. Right. Gone. gone. So how, so, you know, in a culture that is so ego driven and so incredibly always in our mind, I mean, I loved how you were describing that that sort of like that journey of like riding the, the you know, leaning into the body, leaning into the emotions, leaning to the experience, and then the little monkey mind coming back in and being, you know, if you wrote a letter in that special little way, oh my God, yes, I feel so, I feel so, so seen and so called out at the same time. So I'm wondering, like, when, like, how have you learned? to go back into our body like what like that I mean the words are really simple go back to your body but we both know that in this culture that is a really big deal what would be the first step like how would you like how do we do that like let's just like how do we return to the body I think we need to I mean we're we are this is a busy culture yeah, we're going all the time. We're going nonstop. And so in order in order to try and bring in that silence into all the noise in order to bring balance, we need to meditate every day, we need to find silence every day, we're not going to jump into our bodies without, you know, giving ourselves a lead without knowing what it feels like every single day, because we're living 24 hours a day in this very masculine, doing, conquering, winning, competing space, we need to bring in the feminine energies of the silence and the nothingness and the space and the being and the listening. So we need to bring that every day in. And that's just a start. We have to be really real that if we want to transform, we need to bring in the energies of transformation into the being. If we want to be observers, we need to bring the energies of, of observing into our being. So I think that, uh, a meditation practice, a silence practice every day is is basics. And in that, then you you continue to move yourself into the space of the observer and detach from the mind. You begin to witness the mind more versus believe what your mind is telling you because this is so seductive. The mind is so seductive. Oh, the mind is so seductive. <laughs> yeah. no. The mind has great yeah. stories and the mind and the mind wants to survive. And so mm -hmm. the mind is really, yeah. It it Remind, mine kind of reminds me of the four or five-year-old who is like determined to not go to bed and coming downstairs at the parents' dinner party and like, then, you know, the mind and yet love for that mind, honoring the fact that the yeah. mind is the part yeah. of us that is not, you know, it's like the little kid that just wants attention without like paying heed to that story. I think conversations like that one and beginning to see your mind for the not very smart thing it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, we need to start talking about this more and more so that we really bring perspective into the mind because the mind, especially in North America, has been king. 
And so we've we've sold the house for the last few hundred years, right? And we need to get it back. And that's by putting mind in its place. Having these conversations and building silence, I think, are number one. Because we have to keep seeing the mind, seeing it, putting it over there on the little dish so we can keep examining it and knowing, you know, exactly what place it holds. I really want it to follow a good recipe for dinner. I do not want it picking my relationships or my future. Yes. Well, and, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, Big Magic, which is one of my all-time favorite books. I don't know if you've ever read it, but if Mm. you have not, go get it. It's amazing. And there's a really big, she t- it's all about creative process, but she talks a lot about fear. And she talks a lot about like not having fear in the front seat. Like it's like fear is going to come along for the ride, but you put the fear in the back seat and you let it like, you just treat it like the cranky four-year-old it is and be like, thank you for sharing. Here's your little, here's your little tablet. Now go watch Blue's Clues. And I'm, you know, I got this. I'm going to be doing this. Um, I was thinking though, interestingly, like as you were talking about meditation and what I'm really hearing is it's not even the definition of like, I mean, ironically, we live in a culture that defines like intersects the words mindfulness and meditation, like, you know, constantly like mindful meditation. And yet what I'm hearing you speaking about is silence, about stillness, about that presence. That's sitting with and being still. And so I'm kind of imagining that the word meditation is, it's one of those words that has kind of been co-opted by the king of the mind in that idea of mindful meditation. And yet what I'm hearing you speaking about is like, it's dropping away from the mind. It's dropping into the body. It's being, it's bearing witness in a place of silence to the self. Yeah, I I think that's precisely it. I think that many people who live in mind maybe use if they start a meditation practice, they 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 use they it's another place to just be in a distracted state. And maybe that's good. You need to take a break from a while, you kind of empty your mind or not be so busy and and that's great. But I think that the potency of meditation is in really deep presence. And so I think it's the same somatic work, which is I'm going to learn to be here without assessment, without judgment, without analysis, but to experience a deep presence with whatever shows up in my being. So we're sinking into the state of presence versus the noisy ego um, pain body uh, that we are are surrounded by, that we sit in presence with that that those that pain infrastructure and in sitting in presence with it then we start to infuse and permeate that pain infrastructure with that pure presence with that pure awareness with that acceptance but we've got to be here we've got to be here with it right when pain and consciousness occupy the same space time transformation occurs right and it's right. really as it's it's and so what i'm hearing in this is the idea that pain and presence do not have to be mutually exclusive. The idea of, you know, pain and acceptance, pain and stillness, pain and embodiment, instead of sort of this dissociation and this separation or this like this versus this. Exactly. It starts with the 
the coming together, which kind of brings us towards the piece that you and I talked a little bit about before we jumped on to the recording about how right now all of your work or so much of your work is about this intersection, is about this idea of this fusion of spirituality with mindful, with mindful, with awareness of the pain body and of the the message of the pain body. Um, but and and this dance of having this this space, the both and as opposed yeah. to either or. Well, I think that you know, as, as we were talking about before, pain thinks it's all alone, isolated, yes. misunderstood. It lives in the myth of separation. Pain lives in the myth of separation. Yeah. Pain creates the myth of separation. Pain creates the myth of separation. Oh, right. Antonia, so powerful. So working with trauma, when we have a meta narrative, we have a meta perspective, a metaphysical lens, what we're looking at is transforming trauma, healing trauma, which is stuck in the state of separation. I'm all alone. I'm abandoned. Everybody's rejected me or fear thereof. When we heal the trauma, we're bringing in the energies of unity consciousness, of connection, which the whole, we infuse the pain with the energies of the whole, and that releases the trauma from our reality, releases the myth of separation from our very body. So I do believe that right now we're, we are in an accelerated place of releasing this, this myth of separation from our realities. But it's a lot of pain coming through. So I think a trauma lens is 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 really useful, especially for upcoming therapists, to see that we need to move trauma through without believing it, right? Without identifying with it, with learning how to detach from it and learning how to be with it, surrender and acceptance. Not all at once. This is a process. You can't ask somebody to surrender when they're in agony. Yeah. That's that's a journey. But that we really need to. Uh, bring in, I think it would be useful to bring in really good skills in working with trauma yeah. when we are, when we in this accelerated awakening that I think so many of us are going through on this planet. So many of us are going through on this mm-hmm. planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like it, it just seems like we are in a period right now where, where everybody is being like the, the alarm is going off in the entire planet. Some of mm-hmm. us are hitting, some people are hitting the snooze button a little bit more effectively than others. But there is this massive awakening that is happening. And yeah. I agree, it is coming through in the form of mental, emotional, and physical pain a lot yeah. of the time yeah. Yeah. if we are not listening to it. And it will yeah. stick, I think, longer than, although everything is as it's supposed to be, but on that level, it will stick longer than it needs to if we don't observe it, see it, stop believing it. And if we don't minimize the level of distraction that we are in, because we, I mean, our economies, our politics uh, are, are dependent upon our addiction to distraction. And our belief in scarcity, our belief in these st- yeah. stories of betrayal, these stories of things. You know, as we're speaking, I keep remembering an experience I had many years ago that really illustrated the way that pain lies like a rug 
Um, and what I just and how trauma encapsulated encapsulates and seals the emotional intensity to the point where we see we can't see past anything. Correct. And many years mm-hmm. ago, I was working with somebody, and she had had this. You know, I saw something nasty in the woodshed experience when she was quite young, and she had defined herself. By seeing something nasty, which is, this is, if you ever saw the movie Cold Comfort Comfort Farm, that is a reference to that movie, which is, it's a hysterical, wonderful, wonderful period piece. But um, there was this character in the movie who just constantly, all she would say ever to anybody was, I saw something nasty in the woodshed. And I, so I was doing some work on releasing this with this person. And what was so amazing was that they had been so completely emotionally bunched up in the threat of what had happened that they could not recall anything that happened after the threat, including the fact that they had gotten out of harm's way and ran to their mother and never was a physical infraction, no physical infraction even occurred. But because of the trauma of the threat and the emotional intensity, they had spent probably 45 or 50 years of their life in this encapsulated emotional pain and story where they had no perspective about their own resilience or about the the, the follow-through that happened after. And that's the thing I've seen. It's like trauma locks us into a moment mm-hmm. and it lies. Yeah. And we cannot yeah. see the fact that yeah. we survived it. We moved yeah. past it. We've yeah. experienced it. Yeah. It, and, and that, but that moment, that was such a clarifying moment for me of going, oh my God, like it, like I could see the illusion and the distortion so clearly because right. it was not my stuff. And I think you've just defined the, the this reality. That yeah. is the human condition right now is thousands of years of story of threat. And we're not even aware that they're there. Right. We've just normalized this this level of anxiety and shame and disgust and jealousy. We've normalized based on threats that have been going on for thousands of years. We've normalized this 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 state of fear that we're in. I think we're living really in a PTSD. I think yes. that's what this dimension is. Yes. It's just collections and collections of the, the lies, the delusions of our discomfort. So, yes. you know, that's why I take, you know, take the risk of saying, I actually don't think that, that any of this is real. Mm-hmm. I, I, none of this is real. Mm-hmm. It, these, this is all stories we've been telling ourselves through thousands of years. Once again, about right and wrong and good guys and good guys and bad guys and how we need to protect ourselves and what the threats are. But I think they're all stories. And I yeah. think we're, we're dismantling those stories now rapidly. Right. right. And those stories and the ego and the people who are invested in those stories are um, like, you know, they're, they're backed into a corner and they're doubling down on the stories, you know? Yeah. And it's so, so it's like, because I've noticed for myself as I detach from the story of the stories and I especially detach from the perseverating, it's just so interesting the way that that perseverating mind just really, really wants, like it's terrified of not existing. And so yes. it will just keep on trying to scare the shit out of us. Um, Absolutely. And to Absolutely. me, uh, 
I can't believe, and I really mean it. I always mean it, but it's like I every time I come to this point where I'm like, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. I I think I especially like this is exponentially. I cannot believe this conversation has just whizzed by. I am like, I'm so on the same page with you about so much of this and loving this conversation because this is like you're speaking my language. Um so, Lovely. but I always want to be sure to give you a chance to say the, you know, like what's the most important thing that you kick yourself if you did not say, um, see it, don't believe it, mm. see it, don't believe it. Yeah. See it yeah. with love, right? All that discomfort, see it with love, but not for a moment, believe that it's speaking a truth. It's just here to be loved, not to be believed. Yes, yes, yes. My friend, Britt Bolnick, um, who who wrote a book called Magic of Bending Time and has been on my podcast and everything, she refers to certain things as what we call our check engine light. And it's like our pain is this request for attention, yes, but it is not telling us the truth. Right. Yeah. See it, don't believe it. Yeah. 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 Okay, so now we're going to do the time travel exercise that I always love to do with everybody. And this is real. It's been, it's one of my, it's just fun. So I'll explain the context. I believe that podcasts exist outside of time. They get recorded and then they exist on servers and they live in perpetuity and people listen to them for years and years and years to come. I also believe though that we're dropping the broadcast like a stone in the river of time. And that not only are we sending ripples into the future of this message, but we're also sending ripples back into time. And so, like, I really see it as like we have the ability to fold the ribbon of time on top of itself and broad, not just broadcast, but transmit, like speak a message to another time and place and to another a younger, maybe older, maybe future, maybe past life, some version of Antonia or Antonia's soul that needs a message. So my question to you is, who, when are you going back to? Like, who needs this message? What, you know, what part of you is needing this message? And when we identify where we're going, what exactly, like, like, what are you broadcasting to her? And this is not a, I'm going to tell her this, but really speaking directly to her. Like, this is your opportunity to speak to her and share the message. I think it would be really simple. And that's back in 2006. You're, you're not alone. You're safe, you're loved, and you're not alone. Yeah. I have this image of your head on this kind of um, like ivory colored, almost like off-white kind of pillow. Mm-hmm. And I can see you just being like, like, it feels to me like this is a message that landed and got to you that allowed you to relax into the pain and to and be okay about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Release some of that clenching that happened yeah. for years and years and years. Oh. Resistance. And so scary. Oh, yeah. 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 All that pain moving through the body. It's in fight or flight for so many years. Well, in our culture is so like pain we have i mean that that's a whole other thing 
I could talk. <laughs> I could go out. I mean, I worked as a tattooer for 20 years. And so I've had a relationship with pain that's been very interesting. And one of the things that I really came to understand is that we have a disproportionate fear of pain in this culture. Mm-hmm. We are so pain avoidant that we we get put ourselves into a lot more pain. A part of it is just like, so you whacked your hand on the side of a door. Big deal. Mm-hmm. You got stung mm-hmm. by a bee. Mm-hmm. Big deal. But everything becomes this, like people get so bent out of shape about like pain on a scale of zero to 10. That's like a one or a two, maybe not even a one, you know, and, and just, it feels to me like pain has been turned into this thing that we get so scared of. And we don't, but I think that that speaks to our states of aloneness that we're feeling, right? Pain feels isolated. And the more pain we're holding in our body or the more acute it is, the more we're screaming for see me, see me, see somebody see me. me." Yeah. And so I think that that is the work that we need to do is just to see our pain and maybe um, see each other's, but see, not rescue, right? Just see, witness. Behold, yeah. hold space yeah. for honor, honor. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, Beautiful. so final question, Antonia. How <laughs> do people get in touch with you? Uh, really easy. Everything's on the website, which is tribe to collective.com. And on that website, you can see the work I do one on one. I do groups, retreats. I love to do group work. There's the book that I wrote in 2021 that came out of that flurry of all that. Releasing, Connecting, Releasing, Connecting. And the book's called Dismantling the Third Dimension, which is about breaking down our pain stories. So yeah, you can uh, email me there with any questions you have and um, yeah, find out a bit more about me. Awesome. And if you guys are listening to this and walking out and about and everything, you can always come back over to empathicmasteryshow.com and find all of the links for Antonia's book and website and everything in the show notes. And Mm -hmm. Ania, this conversation has just been like so powerful and rich and like nourishing. Thank you so much for being here. Nourishing is a beautiful word. I really felt we walked on some uh, lighter plane tonight, didn't we? Yeah, we really did. Beautiful. I really, really am so grateful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.